Chapter 24 Many Returns Daddy emerged from his bedroom late the following morning, looking worse than the losing boxer after a prize fight. His eyes were red and dry, his hair disheveled. When he sat beside me on the sofa, I caught a whiff of his putrid breath. Immediately I set aside the book I had been reading and excused myself to take a pee. He vomited twice during our drive home that day, the first time right along Main Street before he could dismount the wagon. After both occasions, he apologized and continued as if nothing had happened. We spent the morning hours at Asphodel, learning how to play backyard baseball. Daddy fashioned a makeshift bat from a narrow piece of plywood, and we took turns swatting at a ball and sprinting to the empty gunny sacks we were using as bases. At lunchtime, Daddy checked in on Abigail and Eli. He returned with happy news. Abigail's fever was subsiding. She had even sat up to drink a bowl of bone broth. The next morning, Daddy decided it was safe to return home. Although we knew we would feel Mama's emptiness there, it was comforting to know we would sleep in our own beds, surrounded by our own walls and our own belongings. When we entered the glade, we were met with a sight that brought us even greater joy. Abigail sat in her rocker on the porch. Her eyes were closed, and her face bore a serene expression as she soaked in the sunbeams of an uncharacteristically warm morning. Above her, a pair of hummingbirds sucked happily from the feeder dangling below the cottage eave. Upon hearing the clackety approach of our wagon, Abigail smiled and raised a hand in greeting. To our astonishment, when Eli limped around the cottage corner with an armful of split logs, he did the same. In answer to a mystery I had shelved three nights ago, Daddy smirked at Walter and said, Maybe your visit to Abigail did some good after all. How Walter had been caught, yet escaped without repercussion, was beyond my comprehension. I made a mental note to ask him about it the next time we were alone, if there ever were a next time. Daddy's constant presence was suffocating. For the first time in my life, I found myself wishing for his return to the office. After all, his presence meant Mama's loneliness as she awaited our return on the aisle. Can we say hello to Abigail? Pip asked excitedly. Daddy slowed the wagon and nodded. Sure, but we'll keep our distance. She might be contagious still. Abigail was glad for the visit. She began recounting for us the various stages of her illness. But when she arrived at the night of Mama's funeral, she stopped suddenly. I could see that she was piecing something together in her mind, something that had become lost and which she was only now rediscovering in the aftermath of her illness. I had a dream that evening, I think, she said after a long moment. I'm sorry if it makes you sad, but now that I've remembered, it's so powerful and vivid in my mind. What was it? Walter asked eagerly. I dreamt about you boys and your mama, she said. 
you were all together at a cottage in the woods. There were flowers and fruit trees all around, and your mamma, she was dressed in flowers too. And then a little while later, she was standing on top of a high hill, staring at me across a mile of grass and trees and what seemed like an ocean of water. Noticing Daddy's grave face, Abigail glanced down at her hands and said, But that was all. Right after that was when Walter came to visit me. Anyway, I felt I had to share that with you, even if it makes you sad or mad. I loved your mama dearly, and for some reason I think she'd have wanted me to tell you. Abigail leaned her head back against the rocker and closed her eyes. She looked so peaceful, she very well may have fallen asleep. Silently, we left her and rode the rest of the way to Asphodel Hall. Though the dips and humps of the cart path rattled me as much as they ever did, I didn't notice them. I was too lost in my disbelief over Abigail's story. How could Mama's force, or spirit energy, whatever you want to call it, reach across such a wide expanse? She had even bridged the metaphysical plane between waking world and subconscious, allowing Abigail to gaze upon her face exactly as we had seen it on the aisle. But as I've thought about it in the years since, I suppose it made sense. In life, Mama always did have a gravity about her, a larger-than-life presence that never went unremembered. Wherever she went, she left her imprint on the people around her. She was a benevolent virus, whose loveliness and cheer had a way of infecting others so that they were made better through contact with her. Still bearing that same spirit in death, and having broken free of the natural laws which constrained her in life, why shouldn't others have sensed her presence, felt her impact? She was, after all, a mere continuation of who she had always been, though now in a more potent form. Of course, such deep and discerning thoughts didn't cross my pre-adolescent mind in 1918. I simply marveled at the miracle of it all, as my brothers and father and I rode on to begin life anew at Asphodel Glade. During the days that followed, Daddy continued his Sisyphean quest, to bring activity and joy into our lives. In addition to more croquet and baseball, he helped us train the puppy to perform a dozen new tricks, ranging from sit to play dead. He taught us how to play kick the can and even had a whole badminton set delivered from a department store in Allentown. When the weather went foul for a few days, we turned to checkers and hide-and-seek, in the evenings, he read fairy tale stories to Pip and National Geographic articles to me and Walter. But for all his efforts, the results didn't change. Pip bought what he was selling, while Walter accepted it reluctantly. For my part, I treated it like batty old Mrs. Norman's beet and hamburger potluck casserole, with all the faux gratitude I could muster. Truth be told, I felt a bit guilty. Daddy was trying so hard to revive what we had lost in Mama, but he was simply no replacement for the real deal. After a few days, he realized it too.
his efforts became as half-hearted and hollow as our reception of them. Before long, the despondency and frustration he had shown on the day of Mama's funeral began seeping back into his speech and mannerisms. Yet not all was discouragement and doldrums. That week also saw the gradual return of Abigail to Asphodel Hall. She eased into her work, first by preparing only evening dinner, then progressing to breakfast and lunch. She took up cleaning and laundry next. Finally, on the 5th of October, Abigail reassumed the full gamut of her pre-sickness caretaking. I remember the date because it was the same day my father returned to his office. This was strange for two reasons. First, because it was a Saturday, and second, because Luther and Jansen Cole was still boarded up, which meant no real work was happening there. We happily forgave his absence. After all, it provided us the opportunity we had been waiting for. Daddy hadn't been gone more than a minute before Walter shouted, Get Pip and the dog and meet me at the boat. Six minutes later, under the shroud of a chilly morning mist, Walter shoved us onto the water. Do you think we'll see Gergen again? Pip wondered aloud. Probably, Walter answered as he strained against the oars. But all I really care about is whether there's breakfast. My rumbling stomach agreed. We had left home before Abigail could fix us anything to eat. The sun was melting away the last of the fog when we arrived at the isle. As we disembarked, the host of cardinals greeted us from the treetops with their cheering songs. We expected to find Mama waiting for us upon Emerald Hill, but when we arrived, we discovered only grass and empty silence. It didn't last long. From somewhere in the forest beyond came a quartet of staccato notes. Bang, bang! Bang, bang! What was that? Walter wondered, glancing quizzically at me. Our puppy responded by loping off into the trees and out of sight. I wasn't worried. On a small island like this, it was impossible to stay lost for long. Sounded like someone shooting a gun, I said. Or a hammer, suggested Pip. Another round of rapid bangs disturbed the still morning. Even the cardinals seemed agitated. Even though we knew which paths led to Mama's cottage, we decided instead to follow our ears toward the curious sound. We didn't have to go far. The noise led us eastward, until we came to the site of Hattie's abandoned treehouse construction. Pip's guess was correct. The sound was hammering. Perched high among the oak's thick limbs was Mama. Wearing only her flowering dress and the crown of ivy, she sat upon one of the few planks we had previously hoisted up and secured to the branches. With one hand, she steadied herself on the crude platform. With the other, she wielded her hammer, working to nail a second plank beside the first. A sort of sling, fashioned from the same material as her cottage curtains, crossed her chest diagonally from shoulder to waist. Inside this was a tiny, wriggling bundle. "'Why'd you bring the baby?' called Pip, with a note of irritation. 
Even a dead baby he viewed as a threat to his status. Mama jumped with surprise. When she saw us below, she grinned and said, sarcastically, Good morning to you too, Pip. Do you expect baby to stay in the bassinet all day long? Sulking, Pip shrugged and lowered his eyes. Walter cared little about Pip's jealous feud. He was more interested in Mama's reasons for hammering boards into a tree so early in the morning. Curiously, he asked, What you doing up there? What does it look like? Mama replied. Building a treehouse. If Mama had been planning to work longer, she abandoned those intentions at once. Setting down her hammer, she stretched a hand into the empty air, or at least it had been empty. A springy green vine, materializing from seemingly nowhere, now hung before her. This she grabbed with both hands and scooted forward off the branch. As if designed for her exact weight, the vine lowered her gracefully to the forest floor. I was expecting you, she said, hugging all three of us together, though not quite so early. I suppose Abigail did not make you breakfast yet? How'd you know she's better? Walter asked, mystified at her apparent omniscience. Mama ran her fingers through his dark tangle of thick hair. Mystically, she replied, Those upon Acheron, and beyond, have deeper knowledge and more powerful sight. I can see much further now than I used to. How or why that is, I do not know, only that it is. And do you know what I see now? We all shook our heads. She cracked a wide grin and said, that my boys need some bacon and eggs in their bellies. And juice? Pip asked hopefully. Why do you think I have all those fruit trees? Mama replied, beaming delightedly. At her cottage, Mama took only a moment to unload the baby into its covered bassinet, then proceeded to prepare a breakfast smorgasbord. Bacon and eggs, sausage and ham steaks, blinis and pancakes, strawberries and peaches and syrup and cream, as well as both orange and apple juice, everything flowed in a steady stream from kitchen to dining room. Despite the vast array of foods, the preparation and cooking of it took no longer than if Abigail were scrambling a mere half-dozen eggs. We sat around the table, and Mama led us in prayer. But before anyone could touch a morsel, Walter piped up with an idea. Let's call Gergen. Immediately a faint pulse rippled through the air. Did I hear my name? squeaked a small voice. Pip laughed and jumped onto his chair with unbridled delight. Right before our eyes, between the plate of bacon and a bowl of fruit, the tiny goblin had appeared. Hello, Gergen hailed Walter. Want to eat breakfast with us? Let's see, said the goblin, thoughtfully stroking his pointed chin as he surveyed the culinary offerings. Bacon, pancakes, ooh, blinis, and plenty more. That should be enough for one hungry goblin. He scampered off the table and onto Pip's chair, which my baby brother was more than happy to share. 
Mama fetched Gurgen a plate, and we all dove into the feast. Although there was enough food to stuff a platoon, we ate with all the urgency and vigor of wild dogs fighting for meat scraps on a lean bone. When we were finished, and none could muscle down so much as another strawberry seed, Gurgen generously rescued us from the drudgery of cleanup. He snapped his fingers, and all the leftover food and dirty dishware disappeared into thin air. You are quite the handy friend to keep around, Mama exclaimed, clearly impressed. I suppose that leaves us free to take care of today's important business. Despite my bloated belly, I leaned forward with anticipation. To Mama, business and play were interchangeable terms. Without any further build-up, she dropped an old journal onto the table. Its weathered cover was forest green, and a thin cord of acru twine bound it shut. I deduced from the edges of its cracked brown pages that it was either very old or very poorly cared for. I found this journal while gardening the other day, Mama explained. I cannot be certain, but I believe it belonged to whoever built the old shack that used to occupy these grounds. What's in it? Walter asked. Mostly nothing. In fact, all its pages are blank except for two. The two that tell of a great treasure hidden on this island. We sat up straighter. If she didn't have our attention before, she certainly did now. Mama continued. I often wondered why anyone would choose to live here. There is little open land for cultivating and growing crops, and there is no wild game larger than squirrels for hunting. Life would have been difficult, to say the least. But when I found and read this journal, it all made sense. A shadow of reverent sorrow fell upon her. It also explains why the old cabin fell into such disrepair. Why? asked Pip. His eyes were bigger than dinner plates. I'm afraid he, or she, died. Or, rather, was killed. Killed by what? I asked. Killed, she whispered perilously, by the hellhound. 